met someone and the sparks are flying, like there's so much chemistry, you think this person is the one. Soon after, this person suggests a trip together. Not a two-day getaway, but a seventh-month road trip. True story, by the way. Garrett was dating Amelia for all of two months when they suggested this. Here's the reasoning. So my goal for the road trip is for us to be in a very enclosed space to work through our shit together very, very early on in our relationship and to understand how we're going to work through things, how we're going to communicate about these things that come up and how we're going to address them so that when they inevitably come up as they do, we don't push them under the surface. I don't know about you, but most people might think about dating some more or going to premarital counseling, not being in a confined space with someone for that long. I mean, there's questions like, how am I going to make money? What if I make the wrong choice or this person is wonderful, but I can't see a secure financial future with them? Well, Garrett and Amelia did go on the road trip, but did their relationship survive? Welcome to Beyond the Dollar with me, Sarah Lee Kane, where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects your well-being. We go there. The guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear, no topic, is taboo. My guest today is Garrett Philbin, money coach and founder of Be Awesome Not Broke. We chat about how him and Amelia manage their finances on the road, some tough lessons as they learn to communicate as a couple, and why they decided to end their trip early. By the way, if his voice sounds familiar, it's because Garrett is a former co-host of Beyond the Dollar throughout seasons one to three. Now stick around to the end where I'm going to take what Garrett learned on his trip and how you can use it to strengthen your finances as a couple. Before we get started, one of the ways you can do things you love, like Garrett did with his road trip, is by using your values to guide your spending. Luckily for you, I've created a values-based spending guide which can help you hone in on what you value the most and how to apply it to your financial life. To grab it, go to beyondthedollar.co slash values. To find resources shared in this episode, head over to beyondthedollar.co or click on the link in your podcast app. Now, get ready, grab a seat, and let's go Beyond the Dollar. Mr. Garrett Philbin, welcome back to Beyond the Dollar. It is such a pleasure to be back here again. Awesome. I It's exciting. Listeners probably know this, previous co-hosts of Beyond the Dollar. So excited just to have you back on to talk about life since the podcast. Just such an interesting story because most people who decide to go on these long-term trips, their main goal is to explore, right? And But yours is a little bit different. So talk to us a little bit about what was the purpose of that trip? Actually, describe the trip first and then the purpose of it. So the trip was, what we had in mind was for it to be like a six or seven month road trip around the Western part of the US. So we started in California and did Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana. Maybe we were going to do Idaho, Washington, Oregon, and then back down. So we had that as the general framework with probably staying three or so weeks in each state. Both Amelia and I have our own location independent businesses. So we were going to work from the road three days a week, which would give us some flexibility with traveling one day a week and then exploring the other three days of the week. So that was the general plan. We didn't really set anything else really in stone because we didn't want to be overly stressed with this idea of, oh, we have to do this a certain way. We wanted to have some flexibility as we were kind of just figuring out what felt right in the moment. So that was kind of what we went into the trip with the 
expectation of in terms of time frame, where we would go, et cetera. Okay. So what was the main purpose of this trip? Yeah. As you said, it, it wasn't to see a bunch of different places. So Amelia and I met each other August 3rd of 2018. So we came up with the idea for the trip. Actually, Amelia did. I think about two months after we met. And so this idea of, all right, we're going to travel around for half a year with each other two months or so into our relationship was to some people kind of taking it quick. But we, now I was at the time 32, Amelia was 29. Like we, we were at the point in our life where we're like, all right, we got a pretty good idea. Like you're the one, but let's, you know, we're still going to play this out a bit. You know, the big reason was Amelia had been in some relationships and this was honestly like my first long, well, second long-term relationship after college. And I'll say the one in college that doesn't really count, learned a lot about what not to do and who not to be with, but really like my first long-term relationship after college. So I didn't have that much experience of what it meant to be in relationship, but Amelia had and said, look, I don't want to be together 40 years from now and have these patterns that we haven't addressed throughout our relationship. So my goal for the road trip is for us to be in a very enclosed space to work through our shit together very, very early on in our relationship and to understand how we're going to work through things, how we're going to communicate about these things that come up and how we're going to address them so that when they inevitably come up as they do, we don't push them under the surface. We don't sweep them under the rug because they don't go away. Like, you know, our patterns and our stuff, they, they, if we push them down, they morph or they go into hibernation, but then, you know, we'll be talking about something unrelated. And if we didn't address that specific thing, it'll come up and blow up in a different way. It's like energy, right? It doesn't, energy is neither created or destroyed. It only changes form unless you process it, I feel like, which is then allowing it to disperse in a different way. But, you know, if you don't address it, it doesn't go away, just changes form. So that was really the goal was like, let's use this period of time as a way to understand how to work through our stuff so that if we really want to live the rest of our lives together, we aren't going to be like a lot of people who we have seen. I mean, my parents struggle with this. I think most couples struggle with this, where you've been together for so long and things that haven't been addressed, they pop up. And it's really hard to then go back and say, remember this thing 40 years ago? <laughs> that, like, you know, let's go back all the way to that because that's actually where it is. It's, it's really hard to do. All right. So, my gosh, so much about this I want to ask. Like, we can totally dive into this for a gazillion hours. But first, what kind of pattern? So you were only together for two months at that point. Were there any patterns you already noticed in each other that were popping up that could be a could have been a red flag? You know, in terms of things that we couldn't work through, not really. And well, actually, let me backtrack on that. I think there were a lot of red flags for both of us. However, in my opinion, and in Amelia's to speak for them, but we have talked about this, is that both of us are willing to do the work. And Amelia has said multiple times that they're like, you are not who I expected to be with. You know, like cis white man, this was not my dream for who was going to walk in. This is not my expectation, right? But they chose me and relationships are a choice. You continue to choose that person day in and day out because I have been willing to do the work. And, you know, what are some of the red flags that I had? I'm inherently selfish. I like put me at the center of the universe so much because that's been my experience, both like growing up being the youngest and being treated with little kid gloves 
you know, being honestly, like being a cis white man who is relatively good looking, like I get my way a lot of the times and people will dance around that and give me the benefit of the doubt. They will give me space in a room. And, you know, that privilege, that sense of entitlement is very baked into who I am growing up in a city, San Luis Obispo, that's predominantly white, that's upper middle class. And just this, I learned a way of being in the world, which is very privileged. And then there's also the ingrained sexism of growing up in a culture like that. And so that was stuff, certainly from my end, that Amelia was like, we got to work through this. And it was confronting for me, for sure. But I chose, even when it was really confronting and triggering for me, to engage. And Amelia reads energy. And that's something I'd never heard of before. But Amelia can tell things that's going on with me before I'm even aware of them, which, by the way, is incredibly frustrating to have things brought to your attention before you even know they're a thing. But ultimately realizing, what am I in this for? Right? We're in this as a team. We're in it together. I want this to be something. And so saying, all right, I don't get it yet. This doesn't like I don't fully understand, but I'm going to hear it out. And so I think to answer your question, red flags, what were the things to work through? Like we certainly had them, but I think the more important thing is willing to engage. And I think it goes beyond relationships or romantic relationships with, you know, when you're dealing with sexism, when you're dealing with racism, when you're dealing with any kind of ism, you're going to have people that are more evolved and aren't as, you know, on this continuum, depending on where you are. But people, I believe people aren't lost, but it's, you have to choose like people who are willing to engage and willing to do the work. And Amelia saw that in me and I saw that in them. I have to ask, as I know people are going to wonder, is enclosed space aspect interesting, but most people typically would seek the help of a relationship counselor or something like that, where it's not going to, I don't say disrupt your life too much, but maybe add to the existing routine. Not many people are going to say, hey, I'm just going to sell all my stuff and go on this road trip in a very tiny trailer and just drive everywhere, right? So why that over seeking a couples counselor? Good question. Honestly, it didn't cross my mind that at that point that we needed one in that respect because we were learning on the trip how to communicate. So I think we were learning what that looked like for us. And if down the road that no longer works and what we've created, then maybe a relationship therapist or counselor would be helpful. But at that point, we were just learning how do we communicate and establishing that. And perhaps having relationship counselor would be helpful to establish those that basis of communication. But I think it was something we were both willing to work on, fail at, and kind of build from the ground up together. And yeah, a 15 by seven foot box with about like 40 square feet of actual walking space was a bit ambitious. I'm not going to lie. And it was hard at times and it triggered each other's stuff at times. And it's like, I don't want to be around you and I have nowhere to go. And that's real, right? Like, especially when both of us needed to work on our boundaries and are continuing to work on our boundaries and ask for what we want and need. It really just was a crucible. And I think it was really nice to know at the end of it, when we both walked out of the trailer in San Luis Obispo alive, it was like, wow, this is like, you know, we, it was hard, but it was, you know, every time we came back and we would have two to three hour long conversations, but we'd be like, you know, we end up better than where we were before this conversation and we process things together. And it was just another affirmation of like, this is what I want to be doing. And this is who I want to be doing it for. 
right? This is worth it. I'm glad you survived. You and Amelia survived. <laughs> glad you're still here and that we get to record this story. <laughs> Just want to get that out of the way. All right. So let's talk about the plans or the planning that you had to do leading up to this. So there are people out there that have nine to fives or just don't even, just cannot even imagine like getting rid of their stuff, selling their home or get giving up their lease and just going on this trip. Right. And as well, how are they going to make money? Is it, are they just going to take a sabbatical? Are they going to work from the road? So what did you and Amelia do leading up to the trip and during the trip in terms of finances? This is a long question, so I'll make sure to take some pauses so I don't just ramble on for eight straight minutes because I know how annoying that is to be on the other end as a podcast host. But for so this was the second time I'd done a road trip like this. So what I took away from the first time I did this road trip solo, I did a seven week trip around similar states was the hardest part is taking the first step. So when I was planning it the first time three years ago, it was, oh my God, I don't have a car. I don't know who's going to take over my lease while I was in New York. There were so many unknowns. And what helped more than anything was simply committing to doing the trip. What first paralyzed me was having nothing in place and feeling like I had to have things in place in order to say I was doing it. But what actually made it happen was saying, I'm going to do it before I had anything really set up, which then was like, well, holy ass balls. Like I said this, I put it out into the world. It's now a thing. And what was really interesting is when I said, I'm doing this trip, I have no idea how I'm going to do it, but I'm committing to it. A friend of mine said, oh, I have a car I'm not using. Do you want to use it? And things just started falling into place. So that would be the biggest thing is commit to it before, you have, before you're comfortable with how many pieces are in place. Financially, this is a really good takeaway for life in general. It's like You're never going to be able to know exactly what it's going to be. But you can plan for like 80% and 80% is good enough. So I guesstimated a lot of the expenses for this trip. Some of it I was was more informed than others. So, you know, I calculated a rough estimate of where the trip would take us, how many miles it would be. Said, okay, if we do that amount of miles over this amount of time, gas is this much, we get this many miles per gallon, we're probably going to spend around $300 every month. Lo and behold, it was pretty damn close for every month. And when we traveled more quicker towards the end a couple of months, it was more, but like that's something I could estimate pretty well where I had no, I kind of said, oh, Amelia and I's groceries are going to be about 500 bucks because I spend 300 and Amelia, I think it would be around another 200, 250. For some reason, we ended up spending about 750 bucks a month on groceries because we both like to eat. We will without hesitation admit to that. So when that came out and I realized on that first month, wow, we're spending a lot more than this than I had to pivot. And, and just change moving forward. But let's see, that was kind of how to estimate expenses. So in planning, I did plan out a budget ahead of time of what I thought it would be. And the budget was pretty close to what my actual living budget was on my own. There were a couple more expenses, right? So like joint groceries, Amelia had animals. So pet food and occasional vet visits. But like, it really was pretty, pretty close. Do you feel like that once you and Amelia committed to the trip that it became easier to find the trailer and the car. Absolutely. I think with manifesting in general, once you're really clear on what you want and you commit to it, things start falling into place. When you're wishy-washy about it, I think you give yourself a way out of, you know, doing the work when even when it's hard and the universe picks up on that. So it 
made it easier, I think, by us knowing that we'd committed. We kept going even when it was hard or frustrating or something fell through. So even though we didn't get the trailer until a few weeks before, we didn't get the car as early as we wanted to, we found both and we made it work. And ultimately, we got a $2,500 2003 Nissan Xterra. We had to put about five, 600 bucks into getting it wired for trailer brakes, but you know, a car for $3,000. We got the trailer for, I think it was 10800 which we were able to get a really good deal on it. So it, likely we're going to be able to resell it for about 12000 That wasn't our hope, but we, we were lucky to get that. With taxes and everything, it turned out to be about 12000 So I just put it on a, I think it was the longest loan period that I could get, like six years. So the payments were only 192 bucks a month. And the expectation and our plan is now to sell it. So over that time, probably it cost us about 300 bucks in interest to be able to finance the trailer. The rest went to equity. And so now we could probably sell the trailer to close to what it was for the price and taxes and fees, have only paid 300 bucks in interest, likely sell that car for 2,500 bucks and almost walk away, break even in that sense which wasn't the expectation. It certainly wasn't the goal. But looking back on it, it's like, holy crap, that like, this will probably work out pretty well. And so, yeah, those things were a bit of a challenge, but not as hard as we thought. And we're lucky we both have location independent businesses, as I said. So that would be something for people if they weren't able to work on the road, that would be important to know how much they would need, what their expenses would be on the road. So how much they would need to have in savings in order to cover that. But I mean, we boondocked. So we only stayed in campgrounds maybe 3% of the time. So we spent about 250 bucks on camping the entire trip. Everything else we just stayed for free on BLM lands or national forest lands. So if you want to get creative, there are apps out there that say, here are the campgrounds, here are the free camping spaces, here are some camping spaces, um, here's the Wi Fi or I guess cell service in each spot. So we were able to scope out you know, where cell service was look at pictures ahead of time. And only once or twice was that info wrong and we had to scramble. But all in all, it was much easier than we both thought, which I think should be heartening for people thinking of doing this is the scariest, the biggest challenge is overcoming how hard you think it's going to be in your head, to be honest. I wholeheartedly agree with that statement. So thank you for succinctly answering my very long question, first of all. <laughs> I appreciate it, Garrett. <laughs> You're welcome, Sarah. <laughs> All right. So going back to the trip itself, right? The main purpose was you wanted to be literally in an enclosed space. We could work out your <laughs> shit. Yep. Okay. What were some of the things that cropped up? Oh, dear God. What didn't crop up? I mean, me being petty and controlling with money because I was so used to only having to worry about myself. And my money story is I'll never make enough money to be financially independent. And it's only a matter of time before I run out. So. Amelia was starting their business on the road. And so I was covering other expenses more so than I was used to, which triggered my stuff, which then had me react and like, well, why did you buy $8 worth of avocados? This is insane. You know, and like I would project my views on what was reasonable a lot of times financially and just like not put it on Amelia, but like drop it from 50 feet overhead and just like have it land on their head with a giant thud. So that kind of how my money stuff shows up and my, I think, unreasonability 
unreason. That was George Bush creating a word unreasonableness with like my expectation of what's right or wrong, which exposed a greater pattern that I have, but actually we both share of like our love for making each other wrong or being right, which is really interesting. I really like to be right. And so does Amelia at times. So we'll laugh about how petty we are in just like making each other wrong for stuff. So when we talk about money being simply like an entry point, it's simply a symptom of a larger underlying issue. Yeah. You know, when I talk about making Amelia wrong for buying $8 worth of avocados and only getting three avocados and come on, that is really expensive. We were, you know, okay. But letting that go, letting it go, it showed this larger underlying issue of me feeling the need to be right and making someone else wrong. Like, where does that come from? So that had us unpack that and look into where that was coming from. Oh God, there was definitely ingrained sexism where like I would think, and Amelia brought this up multiple times where they were like, you just talked to some guy and he said the same thing I'd been saying, but you totally just took what he said and you know, you keep questioning what I say. So go, wow, that's possibly real. Let's look at that. And a good part of that was true. I think sometimes, especially in relationship, there's stuff that you don't want to, or you, well, this is modeled to me from my family. So this may also be where it comes from, but like not always listening to what your spouse says or giving it as much credit as to what other people say. Amelia also it's interesting, comes from a scientific background with her brothers and dad, but also comes from a very spiritual place as well. Not religious in any way, but a spiritual might not even be the right word, but just a world of intuiting, of energy, and a world of which I'm not that familiar with. And my dad's a chemistry teacher, sister got PhD in postdoc, like science, data, facts run our household. And so I would discredit Amelia's intuiting, which actually we discovered is because I pushed that down on myself. So I have really good intuition, but over the years I've come to discount it and not give weight to it, which has led me to continue to do things that don't serve me. But I just say, no, 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 because this is the way that business has to be done. Or I can't be a ridiculous, goofy man sprite in my like way of marketing my business. And, you know, so it's been a lot of confronting of like ways that I thought I had to be in this world, whether how I express myself personally, how I show up in relationship, what it looks like to market my business or be a business owner. And I had a lot of ideas about the way the world was or how I had to be in it. And a lot of those were very, very closed minded, I would say. All right. So as both you and Amelia were working through some of these communication challenges, things that were triggering you, red flags, et cetera, et cetera. Did you notice that both of you were communicating about money differently or handling it differently? Like, what's the deal? Yeah, I would say that both of us just became more aware of what the other person's money stuff was, what triggered it. And by us having a better understanding of the other's money stuff and also having been confronted and realizing more what our own money stuff was and is, allowed us then in the moments to either A, be more aware ourselves and call out the patterns when they started to happen. Like, oh, look, this is us being incredibly petty about food or the price of food or being able to just have that awareness in the moment or be able to just be a bit more compassionate and dance with the other person when they weren't aware. And ideally getting to the place where we were comfortable enough bringing it up to the other person 
in the moment or most likely shortly thereafter when the person wasn't triggered or going into that pattern. So I would say, yes, learning to change, but more so there's this, uh, I think there are six steps or so in addiction. There's a book I read. It's like the six stages or so. First, it's pre-contemplation where you don't even know it's a problem. It's like me making Amelia wrong for buying things in the way that I wouldn't buy them. And then there's contemplation, which is, oh, I'm putting this belief, my belief system on Amelia, and I'm noticing that I'm doing that. Okay, at least I'm aware that it's happening. And I think that was a huge step. It wasn't even a whole lot of conscious action of how am I going to even do that differently in the beginning, but just to be aware and be in that contemplative state was a huge step to be aware where we previously were unaware. That sounds amazing. So any particular moment on the trip that really stands out to you, you're like, wow, we're really becoming closer as a couple. I can't say there was a single like aha moment. There were lots of small moments after really long talks and confronting talks that always reaffirm the fact that we we had the right person. It's just there was a lot of work to do. But right around, should I say, four and a half months in, maybe just a tiny bit earlier, something just seemed to shift overall. I used this analogy yesterday, and you can let me know if you feel like it works, is I imagine this like door in Harry Potter land that has like a hundred different keyholes in it. And over the course of the trip, with all of these small conversations that we had and small epiphanies and understandings and learnings, we like put a key in, turned it as we worked through it, and that unlocked a little piece. Another key, another conversation, locked in another piece. And at the end, four and a half months in, like we just had a conversation. That was one of the last keys in the door, and everything kind of unlocked, slid, and it opened, you know, and it opened up. So that at that point, we kind of felt this release. We kind of felt like it's not like we've arrived and we never have any more work to do. Like this whole journey is the work. But I think our way of communicating, our understanding of each other, it just made whatever came up easier. And so at that point, it was really interesting. We were around, I think we were in Seattle at that time. We then drove down to Bend and Bend was right around, you know, the fifth month. And we we're just like, we're good. Like we don't need to just keep traveling because we said we were going to do six or seven months. We're five months in, we're at Bend. And one day we woke up, uh, we were supposed to meet some of Amelia's friends in Sacramento. They canceled that weekend because something came up. And we're like, screw it let's just go back home. And we drove like 16 hours that day just from Bend, Oregon to Central California. And we're like, that's it. We're good. You know, what we had hoped to get out of the trip we got. And now let's just make it back home. So yeah, I guess if there was an epiphany, it was that this now feels markedly different, but it was a lot of small individual moments where we chose to engage, where we chose to be uncomfortable, where we just made that choice to work through it now rather than pretend like it was comfortable to not address it, where it will then come out in, you know, it's guaranteed to come out just in different ways down the road. So there you go. <laughs> I was like, that was such a beautiful answer, Garrett. Wow. You made me tear up a little bit. Whoa. Who, <laughs> oh, me? <laughs> so what's next for Garrett and Amelia? Oh, good question. So. 
I have, for me personally, one of the things I've gotten really excited about is financial freedom and having the goal of getting there in 10 years, a little over 10 years by 2030. And it's been really fun for us both to think about what would that look like? What would that mean for our lives? We talk about getting land, you know, two to five acres here in the central coast of California, getting animals on the farm. So we want a cow named Buttons. We want a, what is it? A goat named Gautier. I want a sheep named Zach Braff. And my coup de gras, I want a mule named Donkey Horse. A mule is, a, you know, a horse and a donkey. Okay. It was a really great pun, you guys. And um, so have animals on the farm because I realize that I like to be out and about, be hands-on and not be in front of a computer all the time. And so having also a space where we want to have tiny houses on the property, be able to have central spaces where people can come and hang out, perform, like have it be a community space. So we have this vision of what we want and it's really fun to talk about it and how we want to get there. I know you've probably answered this throughout the entire episode, but got to ask it. How are you living beyond the dollar? Wow. By letting go of expensive avocado purchases. I think that just encapsulates all of it. I mean, really, but to answer it in a non-jackass kind of way, it would be by looking honestly underneath every decision. And I can't take all the credit for it. I can't even take a majority of the credit for it. But I think what I can say is me choosing to look at the decisions that I'm making financially and really ask like, why, why, why? (laughs) And I think what I've what I've learned over this relationship specifically to money and how it's helped me live beyond the dollar is who am I being along the way? Really being along the way. Because I think I've allowed myself to answer that question more superficially and kind of on like, oh, on a grand level, like I'm doing better on the 30,000 foot view. Like, you know, I know it's not about the money. You know, I'm just working towards these goals. It's great. But I have a partner who says, It's not okay to only look at this on like a month to month basis. Every day, every GD day, are you showing up how you want to show up? I know who you are. And when you set these financial goals, are sometimes these goals serving as an excuse for you to be comfortable and go into these old patterns that make you feel comfortable? So living beyond the dollar is being uncomfortable and questioning at every step of the way am I being who I want to be as I'm getting these goals, you know, moving towards these goals that I set? And are these goals even serving me? And that leads to some tough questions, but it's really fun to be in the discovery of that and trying to answer that. Garrett, it's always a pleasure talking with you. So thank you for coming on Beyond the Dollar. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me. And I'm just so grateful to be able to be on. Thanks, Sarah. All right. I appreciate you sticking around to the end. Now, before we get started on the lessons, aren't you glad to hear that him and Amelia finished the trip alive? (laughs) All right. Joking aside, let's talk about some of the valuable nuggets and tidbits that we can take from Garrett's conversation with me. Now, I do want to say you don't have to go on a five-month road trip like he did. That is not what I'm saying at all, but the intent of their trip is definitely a very noble one because if you're going to be in a long-term relationship, whether or not you're going to get married or you're cohabitating, whatever that looks like, 
you want to be able to know that you can communicate your needs and wants, right? And you want to know that this person can also come to you with the same things because you care about them, right? You want this to be a rock solid relationship, especially in your finances and all other aspects of of your life, really. Now, these are all lessons that are pretty universal. I'm going to tie them into money more specifically, just because this is a money podcast, right? So the first thing that Garrett really talked about time and time again, and I think we've heard it from other guests, is just to be willing to do the work, all right? And in this context, he's really saying, be willing to listen, be willing to look into some of the stuff that you're not necessarily proud of. Maybe it's a bad money habit. I know for me, I had some pretty bad impulse shopping issues when I first met my husband. So that was something I knew I had to work on. Maybe you're carrying some debt into the relationship and you're really ashamed about it. And that sort of brings up things where you snap at people, whatever it is, right? Things are going to trigger you, but be willing to do the work, right? Especially for this other person and even for yourself. This is just as much for you as it is the other person. Because if you're going to be together with this person long term, right? Not necessarily in a trailer, but maybe you're living together in an apartment. You want to be able to to know that you can come to them with stuff that's not fun and that they can come to you with stuff that's not fun, right? On that same vein, it's just commit to learning about each other. Commit to learning about each other's isms with your money, how you spend, take a you know look at their credit score, you know, get really, really intimate in terms of the numbers, just be willing to take that step, right? You're not saying you have to show them like your bank statements on the first date, <laughs> but but we'd be willing to find out or be willing to at least share some of your money stuff too. It's really that commitment and that willingness because at the end of the day, your willingness to communicate is really going to take you so, so far. Something else that Garrett talked about, and I think this is pretty universal, is that money issues or when something really triggers you about money, it's just there's an underlying communication issue or there's underlying deeper issues. So for example, this is not Garrett Amelia's case, but this is just an example, is think of financial infidelity. So maybe someone is hiding purchases from their spouse or they're taking gobs of money and I don't know, spending it on a business or something, right? Underlying issue there is that there's a lack of trust in the relationship. So it's not necessarily the fact that you're hiding money or you're spending however you want. It's really, really deeper. There's some deeper trust issues. So with Garrett and his whole avocado debacle, as as you can say, it's really about the fact that he holds on to money. He doesn't trust himself to earn more or that he's not going to run out of money in his later years. And so that projected outward as, oh my gosh, Amelia is spending $8 on avocados. What is going on? So great, great thing that he recognized that. So it's going to take a little bit of work and a little bit of self-inquiry for you to figure these things out. But just know that this is a constant journey and it's not not going to go away. And But just be honest. Be honest about what's going on. This one I'm still working on <laughs> is, think about it. Would you be rather or would you rather be happy or right? So when you're having a disagreement with your partner, let's say about 
okay, we're going to talk about buying the avocados, right? Would you rather be right? Like, oh man, that $8 is so much money to spend on avocados. Or are you willing to let it go and be like, you know what? My partner really likes avocados. We're in the middle of nowhere. And this is the only occasion that we've found avocados. Let us enjoy it. Now, granted, I mean, there are different exceptions, of course. Maybe you're going through bankruptcy proceedings and you don't want to file the wrong paperwork, right? But gen- this is just generally speaking when you're having a disagreement is try to see what the other person's doing. Like just kind of say give and take, right? There are things that you can kind of let go, maybe put some room in the budget for this. My husband and I have a little bit of a buffer in our account. So if we do end up overspending in certain categories, we, we saw something we really liked. We're not going to blame each other for spending quote unquote too much. We have a little bit of buffer. It's not going to totally derail our financial plans. So my challenge for you today is ask your partner about what annoys them about you when it comes to money. Is there something that you do or say about money that really, really annoys them? And then reciprocate and see what comes up. Maybe that will start an interesting conversation. It might bring you two closer together. Who knows? But I would love to hear if you did this or any other questions or suggestions. Hit me up on Instagram at Beyond the Dollar or email me hello at beyondthedollar.co. I read every single email. So thank you again and see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening in on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend. It'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. Tag them on Instagram or one of my posts at Beyond the Dollar. Send them a link whatever you want to do to spread the mission of what we're doing here. Now, if you feel that putting monies towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters to you most in life, be able to name your most important values, and how to start putting money towards those things. To download the values-based spending guide, go to beyondthedollar.co slash values. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. And thanks to Donovan Durant for providing this awesome music.